Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we live in New York City. Uh, it's known as a city that never stops, a city that never sleeps. Uh, it's a cliche statement uh, at this point, and yet it's certainly warranted. Things truly never stop in our city. And for many people, uh, this can actually cause an enormous amount of tension in life. People can get really tightly wound because uh, we're always looking for ways to take the pressure that come, take the pressure off that comes. Uh, trying to de-stress uh, people, of course, exercise and vacation and yoga and they smoke and they drink and they try to eat. Uh, that's my personal favorite when I'm stressed. Uh, I eat, um, but we know that all the different ways that we try to find rest. They ultimately never bring true and lasting rest to us. Like the stresses of life always end up returning. And what we see in our passage today is a bit of a paradox because what we see uh, in these passages is a rest that we so desperately desire and that we need and yet is completely out of our grasp. And yet that rest also contains all the hope that we hope to experience in life. It's a rest that we cannot achieve, but it's also a rest that if we have it, we can never lose. And ironically, it is also a rest that we, also, we often reject in order to cling to counterfeit attempts at rest. It's complicated. We so desperately want rest, and yet when presented with the kind of rest that our soul desperately needs, we reject it. I want to show you what I mean by looking at this passage in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. All right, so let's look at this passage in, in three different ways. I want to take a look at the rest we want, the rest we reject, and the rest that we receive. Okay, so first, the rest that we want. Uh, New York, uh, in the New York Times uh, several years ago, there was a story of a man named Dave uh, who worked too much. 
and the article was essentially showing the inherent problems, uh, problems of and reasons for workaholism. And in the article, Dan makes uh, numerous statements about the reality of being a workaholic. He says that no matter how much is done, he never feels like he's done enough. Uh, that he would try to take vacations, but they never seem to work uh, because his work always drew him back in, even while on vacation. Uh, work was so often done for the sake of attention and admiration for him. And he admitted that his work was a way of suppressing deeper feelings of inadequacy and depression and even anger. And so for him, the conclusion was ultimately there was an obsession with work that was the result of deep insecurities and essentially a desire to prove oneself. I wonder if that sounds familiar to any of us. Right? Now, work, in that sense, can be very destructive. What's interesting is work, in our passage, is used a little bit differently than Dan's work. Uh, because in our passage, though speaking of work, work here is not about a vocation or a job or a career. And the rest is not sleeping or a fishing trip or whatever someone might do to try and escape. What we see in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, we see that the rest being described is a spiritual rest. And that works are an attempt at achieving that rest. Okay, so rest is a spiritual thing. Work is an attempt at achieving that spiritual thing. Now, one commentator explains it this way, that the works being described are those, quote, vain attempts in which we engage to make ourselves happy. Essentially, this biblical commentator continues, we go about to establish our own method of justification. In other words, ceasing from our works is more than ceasing from vocation. Rather, ceasing from works means we cease from the vain attempts at making ourselves happy. I mean, think about it. Isn't it what that guy in the, the New York Times article, Dan, is talking about? He was using his work to find happiness by justifying himself and proving his worth, all of which was driven by deep, deep insecurities. And there are so many ways to obsess in order to prove our value, hoping that it will bring some kind of happiness happiness, or, or some kind of rest out of it. And ironically, the justification that we pursue creates limited and fragile identity and security, limited and fragile fulfillment, because we know at some point it will pass away. All things that we use to find happiness in this life, meaning in this world, will one day lead to nothing. I mean, think about it. Anything that we build in this life will one day be destroyed. Everyone that we've ever loved will one day die. Everything that is most dear to us will one day fall into the abyss of forgottenness. Uh, Bertrand Russell, who is a famous um, atheist and philosopher, uh, he put it this way. He said, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast depths 
of the uh, vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. It's bleak, Bernie, but it's honest. Everything temporal will pass away. Yet, even though that's true, we long for rest from our labors, for true rest does not require endless toiling that ends up leading us to nowhere. How could that be ultimately true rest? But what we don't want is just some sleep. We don't just want a vacation or some relaxing time on a beach or however you unwind. What we long for is a deep rest that satisfies the very depths of our souls. We want that kind of rest that makes sense of the universe and our place in the universe. Yet, interestingly, if we were presented with that kind of rest, I'm not sure we'd know what to do with it. I'm not sure that we would even want it. In fact, I think more often than not, we reject that kind of rest when it is presented to us, which is why we need to consider the rest that we reject. Uh, Psalm 95, uh, in the full context of this passage, the author is actually leaning heavily on it. Uh, not only does he quote an extended passage in uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, he also proceeds to reference back to it another four times. Now, it's important to understand Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is referencing an event in Israel's history where their rebellion against Moses in the desert and God's subsequent miraculous water from the rock, if you uh, maybe remember that story. In the account of their rebellion in uh, Exodus 17, you see the reasons for their rebellion. Uh, they were angry with Moses claiming he should have not led them out of uh, Egyptian slavery. Uh, at the same time, they were wandering the desert, and they did not trust the promises of God or that God would provide for them. Specifically, they did, they did not trust that God, uh, they did not trust God to lead them to their rest uh, in the promised land. And so they preferred to go back to slavery. Now, why? Well, for them, it seems easier to stay in the endless toil than to trust God. It seemed easier to just trust in Egypt. They preferred hard and never-ending work to the rest that God had uh, promised them. They didn't trust to act, that he would actually provide it. Now, why would they prefer endless toil? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us some insight in verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says this, again, referencing back to that time. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Interesting. Joshua, in the promised land, was not rest in its fullest, right? So the rest that they anticipated in the promised land was not the fullness of the kind of rest that they were promised. It was never supposed to be 
total and complete rest. Because the passage tells us that God spoke of another rest, not fulfilled by Joshua, said there was a rest for God's people. And that rest is what the author describes as Sabbath rest. It is the rest that God experiences on the seventh day after creation. Now, it's important just to note that here, when being translated, this passage, it uses a different word for rest that can be translated as the same word as Sabbath. And that's, in that's, in done, that's done intentionally by the author because he's using this concept of rest, Sabbath rest, to connect the reader's mind into the Old Testament concept of uh, Sabbath rest that was instituted by God in Genesis 2. So, if that is uh, the kind of rest that is promised, then we need to consider what's happening then back in Genesis 2. What kind of rest, what kind of Sabbath rest is actually being described? Specifically, what happens on days 1 through 6 of creation that then result in and necessitate day 7, which was Sabbath rest for God? Well, when we think about rest, again, we, we tend to think about it in terms of sleep or in lack of stress or not working, you know, in our jobs or in our careers. However, biblical commentators note several things about the rest in Genesis 2 that we, we have to keep in mind and we have to consider. The first would be this, that the kind of rest that God, uh, God experienced on the seventh day in Genesis 2 um, must not be a rest because of being physically tired. For one, God is not subject to any kind of physical strain, nor has God ceased from all activity. Rather, God has simply ceased from his foundational creation of the universe. That's really what it's coming down to. That's uh, what uh, day seven was all ultimately about. But the second thing that's important to note is that you'll notice that all the other days of creation, if you read through those story there, have a morning and an evening ascribed to them. However, day seven never ends with an evening. That day never ends. In other words, day seven, it's important, here's the point, day seven is still continuing on, even now. This describes the continual rule of God over creation. Days one through six, he established creation. Day seven is now his rule and reign over creation, and it continues even to this point now. Yes, God has ceased from his foundational creation of the universe. However, day seven of God's rule continues on and has never ended. It will never end. And that is the eternal rest of day seven. That is the ultimate Sabbath rest. I'm saying all that to say that the eternal Sabbath rest, that rest of day seven is what we are being invited into. But remember, I started this point by saying that it's actually a rest that we reject. We don't want. I mean, consider what it is that's being offered to us. We are being offered rest where God authoritatively rules and reigns over all things. And it's a rest where all works or attempts at achieving things like rest cease. I mean, believe it or not, by our nature, we don't like either one of those ideas. 
you know, the idea of God authoritatively ruling, we have significant issues with authoritative, authoritative rule in our lives. We are autonomous. We are commanders of our own destiny. We can be anything we want to be if we just believe it so. We can accomplish anything that we put our minds to. We don't like being told what to do or what to be. And because of this, we so often reject the, uh, the rest that God gives because that rest inherently is his rule over our lives. But the other one, too, is that this kind of rest is where all work ceases. Remember, we said that work so often is our vain attempts at achieving happiness and self-justification. We work so hard to produce and to pursue happiness and our own justification. And in the end, we do it because we know that we need that justification. And so we do what we can to try and achieve it. You know, a couple of years ago, actually it's probably been more now, there was an ad campaign all over New York. It was all over the subways and on buses. Uh, it was all over the city where it essentially said, endures we trust, if you remember that. Um, that is, you're most valuable in achievement and success. Right? This is the, the mantra of our day. You must be successful. You must have achievements. And so because of that, we're constantly working toward it. But Sabbath, Sabbath rest is saying that I will lend, live under God's rule and I will cease from the work that I use to try to create an identity that defines me. I will cease from the work from that uh, so desperately that I so desperately pursue in order to find some kind of justification. I will cease from that work and I will live under God's rule. And that is where I find that that is where I will find my ultimate rest. But here's the problem that is very hard to do. In fact, this is impossible for us to do in ourselves. Why? Because of what it requires. What it requires for us to experience that rest is completely unattainable for us. You know, the famous reformer, John Calvin, when he was reflecting on these verses, he said this, that the chief good of man is nothing less but union with God. What does that mean? Well, Calvin is saying that true Sabbath rest comes when we are unified with God. And how does one become unified with God? How can we achieve such a feat? Well, we can't. It's completely out of our reach to do so. And so the question then becomes is then, well, what is the game? Why is there a rest that we want, but we can't achieve? Because it's not a rest that we can achieve, but rather it's a rest that we must receive final point. Uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 of our passage, uh, the promise of his rest still stands for those who hear and believe the good news. In that way, it is possible to experience this rest. Now, all throughout Hebrews, the author is arguing for the exaltation and superiority of Jesus. We've been seeing that so far in our series. We will continue to see it in the coming chapters. And in the previous chapters, we've seen that Jesus is 
greater than angels. Uh, we've seen that Jesus is greater than, um, here we're seeing that he's greater than Moses or Joshua or anything that they uh, provided or promised to the people. He is greater than both of them because neither of them could usher in true Sabbath rest. No matter what kind of rest they offered God's people, it would never actually be complete. However, Jesus is superior to them. In fact, Jesus is so superior that in Matthew 12, Jesus says of himself that he is Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean, Lord of the Sabbath? Well, if Sabbath is the eternal place of rest that began at God's creation of the universe and from where God rules and reigns over all things, then Jesus is saying that he is Lord over that rest. Now, let's take a moment just quickly to consider Jesus' words. Because in that way, Jesus is in, in a no uncertain terms claiming himself to be God himself. I mean, who else rules over the eternal but God himself? However, don't miss the fact that Jesus is also saying this while he is on earth. Okay? The Lord of the Sabbath, the one who exists transcendently above time and space, has come to us. Come into time and space. Why? Well, he came because we are all so often striving so hard to find rest and happiness. We desperately want to justify ourselves. We constantly want to prove ourselves. And this is exhausting work, and it is never-ending. All the while we are working, we know that we just aren't good enough. Isn't that the irony? And that we know that this is only going to force us to work harder and harder to try and achieve that sense of happiness and justification. God sees this. He knows us down to the very bottom. He sees our brokenness. He, he knows how hard we strive. And so Jesus comes, because of the great love of God, Jesus comes to lift that burden from us. He comes to take that rebellion from us. You know, chapter 4, verse 2 implies that the rest that comes, it comes to those who hear and believe the gospel. And so I want you now to hear, and I pray, believe the gospel. That the Lord of all stepped into, or stepped out of, rather, eternal Sabbath rest and into a world that was weary and heavy laden. In his life, Jesus lives sinlessly without fall, flaw or failure. And he does so in your place so that you don't have to. In his death, he lays down his life for you, for your rebellion against him. And on the cross, he deals with our rebellion against an infinitely perfect God that we might be free from that sin. And in his resurrection, he proves that he is truly the God of eternal rest by conquering death. And now he offers you and I eternal rest so that now with tenderness and love, we can hear Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. This is the gospel message. Jesus extends to us rest. So lay down your striving, lay down your searching, lay down the vain attempts to justify your existence, lay down the rebellion that refuses the work of God in your life, and find rest, a rest that lasts for an eternity in our Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us into your eternal Sabbath rest a rest where you rule and reign, a rest where we are able to lay down our striving. And we thank you for your Son, the Lord of the Sabbath, who has come to us in order to make possible uh, us stepping into that rest. And we thank you for your Spirit, your Spirit who unifies us to our Savior, unifies us to our Lord of the Sabbath. Would you help us to think deeply on these truths and experience that rest even now by ceasing from our striving and submitting to your rule and reign in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.